welcome to the October episode of International Voices. My name is Udo Fluck. I oversee the global program in Arts Missoula, and I am the host and moderator of this podcast series. To listen to episodes from the last two years, please visit artsmissoula.org, click on Global, and visit Radio and Podcasts. International Voices is a monthly podcast brought to you through a collaboration of Arts Missoula Global and The Trail 1033. I'm talking today to Siena Greta Medrano, an accounting and management information systems major at the University of Montana. And, if that was not enough for a full-time student, she's also the indigenous and rural outreach ambassador at Accelerate Montana, an executive at the UM Pacific Islanders Club, and the International Student Association. Shiena was born and raised in the city of Manila, the capital of the Philippines, which is also where she started her education. She decided to continue her education in the United States, and while study abroad is one of the best ways to acquire global skills, access personal and professional opportunities by developing intercultural communication, foreign languages, adaptability, and problem-solving skills, it typically requires some cultural adjustment in the host culture and country as well. Coming from Manila, a city with several million people, to Phillipsburg, Montana, a city of under a thousand individuals, is a major change, which includes the shock of a new environment, meeting lots of new people, and learning the customs, traditions, and values of the new country and its people. An adjustment that many international students are going through when they decide to leave their rural hometowns and move to another country, and often much more urban settlements, to continue or complete their educational journey, just like Shiena did. As you will hear in this podcast, her journey has been fun, exciting, educational, rewarding, eye-opening, but sometimes also stressful and even frustrating. This podcast will inform listeners about how to reduce the impact of culture shock and how one can help others going through it. This is part one of a multi-part series about individuals managing cultural adjustment and culture shock. Welcome, Shiana, to my October podcast episode. Tell me a little bit about your you coming to the United States. Me coming to the United States was something unexpected. Like I was already accepted into college in the Philippines, and it's I had a lot of options, like from prestigious colleges there. But there was already a petition going on for my mom to come here, and by Philippine law, I was also required because I was underage. I was seventeen. Sure. But um, we did see it as a good opportunity for me to pursue a better education because even if I graduate in a prestigious university in the Philippines, if I go abroad, they don't really credit that education just because it's from a third world country, even though I feel like our education system is quite harder than the American one. Um, but that's just how it is. So we saw it as a good opportunity. My mom told me, okay, we're moving to Montana. 
To be honest, I didn't even know it as a state. <laughs> When I was moving to U.S., I was expecting something like Los Angeles or New York, the mainstream ones that is often portrayed in Netflix or Hollywood. Right. But I looked up Montana and I'm like, oh my God, I feel like there's nothing in here. <laughs> it's just mountains. Right. It's not that I'm against it, but, you know, it's just not my lifestyle. Sure. I'm from... I I saw that Manila is the most densely populated country in the world. So like when you walk outside, you'll always be elbowing your way throughout. But um, I saw that it's Montana. So we came here, came to a small town in Montana just because that's where my aunt lived. Tell us about the small town because the small town, as I know, is really small. It really is small. So the small town only has like one main street. Right. And it's mostly a tourist town, which is really pretty, by the way. If you're listening to this, I suggest you go there. But for a living... Which is Phillipsburg, Montana. Phillipsburg, Montana, yes. And I I was going there. I thought like it was pretty peaceful. But like I miss the city noise, you know. I miss like the neighbors yelling outside. <laughs> and sure. Like children playing basketball outside because I'm just used to it. But then right. I came there like, and there's no one who looked like me. I right. just felt like uh, I don't know what to do. I was quiet all the time. I cannot feel like I can express myself because if I say something wrong, I don't want them to judge me because everyone knows everything in a small town. Right. And I don't want rumors about me saying that I did this, sure. I am this, sure. blah, blah, blah. I remember in high school, like, I was walking by the hallway, and my aunt noticed that I don't reply when someone asks me, hey, how's it going? But the truth is, I'm not trying to be rude. I just don't know how to respond to you. Right. Because how's what going? I didn't learn English that way. I learned English like, good morning, hello. Right. Like, um, a common way of uh, right. responding is like, good, thank you. How about you? I'm fine, thank you. But right. I, my aunt told me that was rude. And I have to ask them back. And in the back of my brain, if I'm being honest, I was like, I don't really care how a stranger feels like. As of now, it feels like I'm being nosy or something. Right. But um, yeah, so when they tell me what's up, I didn't know how to respond to that for a long time. So I started really being quiet and observant. Right. And I observed, like, how do other people respond to that? Because I was afraid to ask that question because I don't want the judgment coming from them. Because right. I know I'm much more capable than that. It's just that I am in a new territory and I feel like all I can do is observe right now and do what others do. And I think you're bringing up a good point because um, when I talk to international students mm -hmm. in the past, um, I have heard that response from many students. Mm -hmm. The fact that they came from somewhere completely different, mm -hmm. not only culture-wise as in general culture, but also oftentimes from, you know, big city areas. And then they're coming to a place like Missoula, which is sort of remote and mm -hmm. tucked away in the Rocky Mountains. And it's not like there is a big city mm -hmm. uh, that you're going to. And so students have said that in the past, that they felt out of place and that they felt not not connecting because mm -hmm. all the things they normally connect to weren't there. And so I can, I can relate to how this must have felt for um, 
for a young lady to come from Manila to Phillipsburg, Montana, <laughs> out of all places. Yeah. And if there was ever a good reason for feeling out of place, probably that would be it to say that's the mm -hmm. reason why I really had a difficulty to kind of find out how to fit in. Yeah, and I remember, like, I feel like my classmate remembered, like, the very first presentation I made in high school. I feel like it was extra, but for my standard, it was normal. Because um, it's a school in a small town. Right. Like, the expectation wasn't too high for, like, for me. I went to, a, like, a really competitive school, a private school, and every single detail, like, one... And the grading system, that is also my culture shock. It's like the A, B, and C. Right. For us, like the points you get are the points you get, and then you average it. It's like over by 100. For instance, if I get like a 96.01 and my competitor gets a 96, I'll graduate valedictorian. And the thing is, I have been pushed so much by my parents to graduate valedictorian, and which I did in the Philippines. So I still have that mindset, like, go sure. for it, like, academic importance. But here, like, when I transferred there, and even in um, college here, I feel like I'm being a huge nerd <laughs> if I do that. If I set my um, academic standards too high or, like, it is very important to me because they experience poverty in their socioeconomic background. That's why they push me sure. to not experience that. And I see where they're coming from. But I feel like a lot of children here may not come from that um, area. So I can see why it's not that important to them. And I just feel like when I look at the material for school, I'm like, I, I think I studied this in fifth grade. It's like that advancement. And I just know that I have, I felt like I have so much to prove here. Me coming from uh, a third world country, proving that I am not less than anyone in here. Right. Standing my ground, proving my place, especially as a woman. And I look at everyone. Everyone is just bigger than me. They don't even think like I'm older than them. Sure. Um, as sure. someone who looks pretty young and <laughs> right. small. So, um, yeah, it's just I feel like I have so much to prove. And I miss our transportation system. Tell me about that. How, what is transportation like in Manila? So transportation like in Manila, it's pretty chaotic. Not that I miss the chaos out of it, but you don't have to own a car. Uh -huh. And that's something that I miss. It's like I can ride a train, I can ride our jeepney, which is pretty distinct in Manila, Philippines. And it's pretty accessible to anyone. Unlike here, if you don't drive a car, since the towns in Montana are pretty remote, you right. can't really get out anywhere. You c I can't really get out of Phillipsburg until right. I get my hands on a car. And especially like with food, I just felt like um, I'm always converting. I have this automatic ca calculator of peso to dollar. Peso is our currency in the Philippines. And I'm just computing everything in my mind. Oh, that's so expensive. Oh, that's so expensive. That's why I feel like I'm being so cheap. But um, the value of things are just different. Right. So... It was like a lot of things to take on. I remember like even the food. One of my first culture shock upon landing here just in the airport of America, I was very hungry and I decided to buy like a spaghetti or something. And I saw from the price it's $10, which is pretty normal I think here. But for me, it was like, oh my gosh, that's 500 pesos that I would have spent in the Philippines. But I spent it anyway because I didn't have any choice. Right. And 
I saw the serving size. Now it made sense to me why it's so <laughs> why it's so expensive. I feel like I can divide it into three, and that will be my meal for the whole entire day. But um, so tell me a little yeah. bit about what what are uh, common dishes in your home country. What would you eat that you can't find here? Um, in my home country, like, there are just so many food. Like, I miss the 24-hour restaurant, and literally, like, every genre of food you can find will have a 24-hour restaurant open. Korean, Chinese, Filipino, fast food. It will be accessible. And it's. I feel like when I went to Phillipsburg, Montana, it's just, like, all burgers and stuff. At least that's what I, w what I was thinking. For instance, if I just want a light snack, I, I'll just go like a couple blocks away and I'll find like um, an uncle or an auntie selling street food and that will be like a dollar and I'm already full. Right. And also like there's a lot of variety. We also have like food delivery there if um, if anything. And mm, we have Jollibee. It's like it's the one fast food restaurant that beat McDonald's in the Philippines. So it's the number one there. And it's always like rice for us. Okay, rice so is like the base. me not eating rice on a regular basis because it's not really served in school lunch. Right. It's not really honestly served anywhere in Phillipsburg unless it's like a Mexican or Asian restaurant. Right. Um, I had to eat pretty much at home what my mom cooks or what I would cook. And sometimes, like, the ingredients are not present here. Right. Like, uh, and I don't even know what to call, like, the vegetables we use. For the longest time, I don't know what a bitter melon. <laughs> like, the bitter melon is called the bitter melon in, in the English language, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's like a lot of cooking, and it feels like cooking has been, like, very time-consuming here. And, and I understand that um, Americans need that fast uh but it must also be nice for you to cook something mm -hmm. um, that you are used to and find some kind of comfort mm -hmm. in the cooking of your own food. Yeah. Uh, do you still do you still cook with your mom? I do, and honestly, Filipino dishes are pretty, I guess, time consuming to prepare. Right. Unlike what I notice with American dishes, it's like you put it all in the same pot and it's there, or like you bake it or. There's like simplified version of ways you can make it. But for us, it's like, okay, you gotta um, marinate it for like five days first. Right. Like, I have so much respect for the Filipino um, food just because both my mom and dad are cooks. Right. And sometimes like they would have a cook off with each other and like I'll be the judge or something like that. And that's something I miss. And being like, I'm, I'm a father's girl, so like, not having my dad with me was also like fi fighting homesickness. But in terms of food, um, I do find comfort in that. But me not finding like the right kind of rice, right. the right flavoring, like the ube, like where can I find that? So I'm so happy that there's one shop that opened in Missoula by the mall. Um, Summer International Market, I was happy. And I can talk to the owner, Glenda, in Tagalog and... That's one thing too, is not being able to speak my language outside, um, unless it's my mom who I'm talking to. Right. But my auntie cautioned me that, oh, you shouldn't speak your language outside. You might offend somebody, because like, they may think that 
you're talking about, about them, them yeah. when we're not. And I remember when I came here and I was born and raised in Germany. And mm -hmm. when I came here, the same thing. People told me, don't speak German with somebody else because to all the other people, they naturally think that you're speaking about them. And, and I never spoke about them. I mean, it wasn't yeah. about the other people. It was That's about so the fact that I missed schnitzel mm -hmm. or that, uh, you know, it was something that I could connect to with another German. It was mm -hmm. never about the people. But I could see where they're coming from because something that is not familiar to you um, can easily be scary or yeah. concerning. And so I think the fact that people don't know when another language is spoken, what people actually speak about is enough reason for them to think they could speak about me. So I heard the same thing and I was trying to be careful with that. But it reminds me what you just said about the ingredients and about how you connect through mm -hmm. the food. We did a podcast here, um, I think it was beginning of the year, mm -hmm. where I interviewed uh, some local chefs that are actually preparing food from their home countries mm -hmm. in Missoula. And I asked them, what is the most difficult part of your job? And they said to get um, authentic ingredients, to get the spices that, you know, my mm -hmm. home dish calls for. And that oftentimes um, is difficult to find. And wasn't one person saying that they had to go to Spokane to get actually the authentic spices. Wow. And then in the winter time, it was like a, an adventure to go mm -hmm. over the pass. And so, you know, after that, when I ate at his restaurant, I kind of looked at the food and I realized how much effort and how much time mm -hmm. went into preparing this because the person literally had to go out of their way to get ingredients from, you know, mm -hmm. a place that is a couple hours from here. So, I mean, I, I, I think that that's oftentimes the case is that food connects people and brings these connections to your own culture, mm -hmm. but it may be difficult to actually authentically cook because yeah. of access to those ingredients. Now, tell me a little bit about what was most challenging to you to adjust to when you first came to Phillipsburg or, well, let me backtrack. Probably my question first should be, how long did you live in Phillipsburg? So I lived there for two years, I okay. believe, my junior and senior year of high school. And then you came to Missoula. Yes. Did you have another cultural shock when you came from Phillipsburg to Missoula? I I do, actually. When I came to Missoula, because that's where my flight lands, I think I liked it a lot, actually, because like, I was in my vacation mode. I was like looking forward for something new still. Right. Like homesickness didn't slap me in the face yet. And I was surprised that the banks here or the malls or any establishments at all doesn't have security guard. It kind of bothers me that they don't. Because in the Philippines, you enter the mall, you enter airport security type right. of style. But I think it's very distinct in the Philippines because when I do travel to other countries, that's not the case. Right. Like you would see other people, I mean, security guards walking with guns around the area. And when I enter the mall, I have to get my bag checked. If I enter the bank and it's inside the mall, it's another security check. Sure. And I was just so accustomed to that. So like me not seeing that um, was a culture shock. Plus in Manila, when I'm walking around the street, like I can't risk anything. Like who knows, one time my phone will just get snatched by somebody. So I always have that cautious mm 
right. attitude. And um, but here, like you can leave your laptop there, go walk to the restroom, and it's still gonna be there, which is something that I appreciate. Oh, so it's wonderful. So when I come back to the Philippines, right. I was reminding myself not to do that because that will not happen. And I'm the same way. Um, you know, the other day I was at a Starbucks here meeting somebody mm-hmm. and I was a few minutes early and there were two other people that were sitting at the Starbucks working on their laptops. Mm-hmm. And at one point I looked over and the person was gone and uh, the person was outside talking to somebody outside of the Starbucks and their laptop was there, their cell phone was there. And I looked at this and I thought, Now, in Germany, you would have one less of each (laughs) because somebody else, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. would have likely looked at this and said, well, it's a free laptop and a a free cell phone. Um, And here it's, you know, it's different. You're right. It's sort of people are more trusting and Mm -hmm. there is more respect probably for um, other people's property. And, um, and and I think in other places, Germany being one of them, but I'm sure in in uh, other metropolitan areas, mm-hmm. uh, that would that, that could have serious negative effects mm-hmm. as in your stuff being gone when you come back. Yeah. And so I just I, I, like you, I was reminded of the fact how nice it is to live in a place where you don't have that, where you just, you know, you're much more carefree. Um, and you're not concerned all the time. And uh, one thing that makes me feel like uh, very unknowledgeable about stuff is like, uh, I don't know. So I'm not used to wildlife, if anything, like at all. I feel like a lot of Filipinos have an irrational fear with dogs, like big dogs, because we have a lot of stray dogs. And if you mess with them, like you're going to get rabies, Sure. you know, and there's a lot of big dogs here. And uh, when people just pet them, I, I back out. Right. Or like, I remember we were on our way from Missoula to Phillipsburg and we passed by Drummond and I saw like cows crossing the road, which is like very unimaginable for me. Like, how can you let a cow there? Like, they might just, get hit by somebody. Yeah, yeah. But to be fair, there are there's like no severe traffic here. No. Unlike in Manila where traffic is like when you enter the tunnel, there's still the, the sun is still there. You get out of a tunnel, the sun is no longer there. That kind of traffic. But um, I do appreciate how like I don't have to rush all the time, how I don't have to elbow all the time, right. walk like 10 miles per hour all the time. It's a little more laid back. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what I noticed too when I remember back was that coming from uh, the Frankfurt area in Germany, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, just a big city with suburbs around it and um, and Frankfurt Airport is a busy place and mm-hmm. other, you know, Frankfurt train station is a busy place. And so I remember when I came here, it was so... Uh, therapeutic mm-hmm. that there wasn't this busyness and um, people were actually a little more relaxed and a little more yeah. laid back and at some point it rubs off on you at some point you actually feel yourself calming down mm-hmm. and relaxing which is kind of a neat thing when you just spend enough time in a place like Missoula I think you can actually get your heart rate down or so. For the long time, like, I had trouble adjusting with the lifestyle here. It feels like 
um, if I don't hike, go fishing, I'm not in the trend. Right. Well, that's not my lifestyle in Manila. Like sure. we're all about the nightlife, the shopping. Sure. And I was disappointed when I saw like the only mall here in Missoula or around like the small towns is like Southgate Mall and there's not even a second floor, I no. believe. No. And our mall in the Philippines, I believe it's the fourth largest mall in the world. There's amusement park, cruise ship. Their tagline is, we got it all for you, and they do. <laughs> like, you want a doctor? Go to the mall. You want dentist? There's the mall. You want to go shopping? Like, there's a Walmart shop inside the mall. Right. You want to go to Ikea? It's also within the mall. Right. Like, the whole Ikea store within the mall, and you want to go to the seaside? Right. want to go to the cruise ship? Go to the mall. Right. And it's like, within my city, particular part of the city, Pasay City area, where I live, um predominantly and yeah it's just not my lifestyle like right. i want to go shopping i want to go to the parks like i want to have like a chill drive in the city with my friends and i want to have like good food good asian food korean barbecue at like 12 midnight right um and it was just not available for me for the longest time i feel like i felt so disconnected with my lifestyle i'm not me anymore but I learned to open my mind to the things that Missoula can offer, which is like hiking. Um, right. I haven't gone fishing. I haven't gone skiing. And sometimes I'm questioning, what am I even doing here if I'm not doing those things? So, yeah. But you're here for an education. That's mm -hmm. your primary uh, focus. And I think when, when students come here from other places, other countries, uh, to to study at the university, then their primary focus is studying. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, um, if you are a dedicated student, unfortunately, it doesn't leave you a whole lot of time mm -hmm. to go around and to enjoy all of the outside activities. So I think that that's probably a fairly common thing. But it's important to create that counterbalance. Mm -hmm. And if you study hard, to also find something where you can say, I enjoy doing that mm -hmm. and it helps me to relax and but I'm, I'm glad that we're making this transition from the things that you missed from growing up in Manila and having access to the shopping malls and having access to the restaurants and all mm -hmm. that, coming to Missoula, but then finding out that an adjustment is important for mm -hmm. yourself to be happy and yes. to thrive. So, so then my next question would be, um, what was the most challenging to adjust to? If there's one thing where you could say, oh, that was for me the most difficult to do when I first came or the most difficult to deal with, what would that have been? Um, Is there one thing that stands probably out? Probably like, I still struggle with this as of now, like the formality in our country and how laid back it is. Like, for instance, when I got hired in my job at Accelerate Montana, which is an economic development program at UM, there was another student that interviewed me. And my thinking is like, okay, he's above me. Like, I got to pay respect. But for them, it's like weird. Like, I just got to call them by their first name. Right. Um, but I don't know how to address them. Like, should they say Mr., Sir? Right. Like, even professors just saying like, oh, you can call me my first name, whatever it is. I just can't. Right. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's a lot. But that's kind of like the small thing that I still feel challenged to adjust. One thing that I feel the bigger challenge that I'm still 
struggling with is um, finding finding like a so- good solid community in mm-hmm. which like I feel like I am finding it right now as I focus through my goals like the people who I can see myself growing with just naturally comes and one of the thing is like I remember entering the business building full of big people none of them look like me I was in the room at the business building and I noticed that I'm the only BIPOC person here. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just Missoula in itself. It's not like uh, anything, but um, not finding someone that I can relate to. It feels sure. like this profession is not for me. Sure. And that kind of reflects the, um, what do you call that? The industry that I'm entering, like how, how, do, I, how do I fight for that? Because I want to be in its core, like a CEO of my own company someday. I want to be my own leader, but it just feels like I have this limiting belief that I'm only, like, I'm I'm only going to be at this level just because, like, they won't respect me. Like, for some reason, I have that thinking in my mind, and it feels like um, I talk to other people, like, a lot of them who feels that certain way too. It's a struggle in the entrepreneurship field, right. especially being um, an Asian woman who is deemed to be submissive and stuff. Well, I want to assert myself in this area. I oh, want to sure. lead. Absolutely. I want to be my own boss. Right. But like having, getting people to respect me as that kind of person right. has been a struggle for me. And that's an interesting, um, an interesting area altogether, I think, how cultures deal with respect. And mm-hmm. I myself come from a culture where um, you don't have the casual you. Mm-hmm. You address people either by Mr. or Mrs. or by their professional title. May that be doctor or professor or mm-hmm. director or something. And so um, I, I think th- that's th- the same thing many Germans have when they come to uh, the United States is to let go of, of this sort of formal part. Mm-hmm and to be addressed by their first name and to address others by their first name as if they've known them for many years, <laughs> which in Germany you would only do then. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would only call people by their first name if you have known them for mm-hmm. a longer time. You would never call a stranger by their first name. And here you get introduced to people by their first name. So um, I think that formality is is something that really is culturally uh, sometimes difficult to overcome. Mm-hmm. And also for the people, I think, the other way, when you have um, learned to live in a very informal society, mm-hmm. to then go somewhere where people expect that they are addressed a certain way mm-hmm. and the person walks in and says, hey, John, how are you? And, uh, and, and John has never been called John except by his mother. Yeah. And so, you know, then there is immediately perhaps this interpretation that this person is rude or inconsiderate. Mm-hmm. And it might not be the case at all. The person might might be as trying to be as respectful as they can, but it's just by this little thing of how you address somebody in different cultures, it makes a major difference right off the bat on how you are perceived. Are you perceived as a very nice and friendly and polite person, or uh, are you perceived as a person that is inconsiderate and mm-hmm. rude? And before you've even actually had any conversation, it's like the first thing that um, that sets the stage. So I, I totally agree with you that it's difficult 
to when you cross cultures from one to another, when you realize that it is more formal or less formal, mm-hmm. and you need to somehow adjust to it. Now, what was the easiest to adjust to? Um, what would you say that was no problem at all? What would that have been? I think that will be like small, trivial things. For instance, like what I find normal in my country that made sense in my mind wasn't really normal here. For instance, I used a handkerchief in my country, and then they don't. And if I use it, it's like kind of weird. Why don't you just use the Kleenex? Kleenex? Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, just n- n- don't use the <laughs> don't use the handkerchief. Right. Or like when I'm in transportation, when I'm outside, just because Manila can be a polluted uh, city too. I use face mask. And I remember before COVID, way before COVID, I used a face mask just because like it it, it feels nice, right. warm. I don't know, like, when I go outside, but, like, I guess there's no need for it here. Then I just won't use the face mask. I think things like that is, um, like, things that you can observe that people don't normally do. And, like, once you do it, like, you kind of get this weird atmosphere around you. Then, like, my tendency is just to not do it. (laughs) Right. Um. What helped you in your cultural adjustment, or who helped you? Were there people that you remember that were instrumental in your cultural adjustment, or were there activities that you did um, that helped you in crossing from the one culture to the other and being comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that would be my auntie. Because she has been here for like 30 years. But at the same time, we speak the same language. She understands where I'm coming from. And like for her, from her, like I don't get any judgment. She just say says it how it, it is. For instance, like she was the one who told me not to speak Tagalog around my mom or around them when we're outside. Just because these are the consequences. While those are not our intention, it can perceive us that way. Right. And we have to adjust to that. Um, so she has been like a huge help because she explains like the why. Why is it this way? Because right. like otherwise I wouldn't understand. It it wouldn't make sense to me. Why is it? Why it would result to a certain way? Because I don't see it wrong. Right. I just see it as different. But for it might be mistaken by other people I'm with, and that's the thing I'm trying to avoid. So I just avoided the things that she told me to avoid because X, Y, and Z can happen. Um, so she has been really like a huge help just because she has been here for so long, but at the same time, she knows where I'm coming from. Right. And I think that's critical. And unfortunately, not Mm -hmm. a lot of people have a person like Mm -hmm. that. That's very critical in cultural adjustment is to have a person that is very well connected to your culture Mm -hmm. and to the host culture, the new culture, and to make that connection and to help that person along because they have gone through it themselves. Mm -hmm. And I guess another person or or another group of people that I would say is um, I'm part of the UN Pacific Islanders Club. Right. They're mostly from Hawaii. It's not exactly in the Philippines, 
but we do share some intersections of experiences oh, sure. oh, absolutely upon coming here in montana and most of them are also in the business school so like uh, we talk about these things and i think experiences that make me adjust is like having those conversation i think having these types of conversation is very important to bring awareness on like what we struggle with and how do we navigate through that right and that would be my next question to you is when you leave um, a country behind you, you have a network that you leave behind with. Mm -hmm. You have friends that you went to school with or mm -hmm. neighbors that you used to see every day yeah. or people that you used to work or intern for as a student. Mm -hmm. um, how, how did you rebuild that network here and have you rebuilt um, a network like you had at home or is it different? Um, it was really hard for me to leave, like, just randomly. I feel like I left my life behind. And I was also, like, young. I was 17 at that time. Um, and I just didn't know what's coming in front of me. Like, it's a full of, like, okay, let life lead the way, I guess. Right. Um, it. I would say it's different. Like, I would interact differently with my Filipino friends in contrast to my American friends. Because with my Filipino friends, I can have no filters, right. <laughs> you know, like, because sure. we would understand each other. But here I really got to be cautious with what I'm saying because I don't want it to be perceived in a way that it's not my intention right. and apologize for it afterwards or make them feel bad, make them feel a certain way and them not telling me, you right. know. Right. Um, and I also like... Um, I guess I interact differently with um, the Pacific Islanders Club in such a way because um, it will be different with my American friends and also with my American co-workers. Like, I learned to be more casual and stuff like that. But, um, of course, like, there are sort of adjustments of all the buckets of community that I'm in. Right. I feel like I wear different masks for those. And it's not that I'm being fake. It's just that I am showing a different facet well, of you're myself. culturally sensitive. Mm -hmm. You are sensitive to each group. Yeah. And you're trying to give each group what they need. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're probably are taking from each group what you need, mm -hmm. which I think is um, a very good sign of being a culturally sensitive person is to not be one size fits all. Yes. But to for be sure. sort of, you know, whatever somebody needs, that's what they're getting from me um, while I'm trying to navigate through life. Mm -hmm. um, what do you enjoy today that you have adjusted to Montana most? What gets you excited if, let's say, the weekend? Um, is around the corner and what is something that you really enjoy doing? Um, I would say that I really enjoy the tight-knit community of Missoula. Like for instance, like the events downtown, like the downtown tonight, because like we have a lot of events in Manila that like I don't know about them anymore just because like there's a lot happening. Sure. But here it's like everyone knows what's going on. Right. Like, Missoula is still a city for me. It's just, like, a different type of vibe. And it's, like, this feeling of, like, everyone helps each other. Right. I really like that. So, like, when there are events like that downtown, like, um, I tend to go to those. And I just love how artsy Missoula seems to be because I'm also an artist. And I just feel like they all know each other and they're connected. Absolutely. And I, I love that. 
for us, it's just like, yeah, no, I'm, you know, uh, it, it would be weird to like just start a conversation with somebody. So, um, and also like just, uh, I'm, I'm a huge foodie. So like if there's a food that I still haven't tried around the Missoula area, like I'll be down to try that. It might be good, not good, depending on my expectations, but like, but I'm giving, it. yeah, I'm giving something, uh, and it's an experience, like trying what's unknown. Right. And that trying what's unknown, and there's still a lot of unknown for me in Missoula. That's what drives me. Oh, I like that. I build a whole life on trying the unknown <laughs> and uh, and then not, not trying to judge it too harshly. Yes. <laughs> and to have an open mind and to tell other people about it so they can mm -hmm. also try the unknown. So I totally know where you're coming from. Say, um... Have you ever experienced reverse culture shock? Meaning, have you ever been back to Manila? Mm -hmm. And how did you find that looking at your old culture mm -hmm. in a new light? Because you basically changed in your host culture. Mm -hmm. And how was that experience? I definitely experienced like culture shock again coming to Manila. It feels like I haven't lived there in a while that um, I remember I was sent down in the airport and when we were coming down, my dad asked me like, do you know why the roads look like blocked? Like you can't see the view of Manila from the outside. That's because like when the tourist comes, they don't want you to see the ugly parts, like the street children, the homeless huh. people. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, it is still a problem in the Philippines and it's not getting any better. Right. And one thing is that like I visited my city, Pasay City, so I lived at home and my I sat beside my dad when he was driving the car. Like once in a while there would be like a kid jumping in front of the car just because like they're playing within the street. Sure. And that's just how the streets in our area is. Like right. and I forgot how that is and I was placing myself in my dad's position. If I was driving that, I would be just shaking. I don't think I can drive in Manila. And I forgot how chaotic it can be. You know, chaotic in the sense that there's no, not like there's riot a anywhere or everywhere, but like how much people there are. It right. feels like I have to elbow my way through everything. And me just, for instance, like, and not having the lines here in Missoula. Right. If I go grocery shopping, like there would be an open self-checkout right. waiting for me right there. Right. But there I have to wait through the lines. Sure. And it feels like I became more impatient when I was in the Philippines, like, okay, hurry up, what, what's up, right. you know? Um, so that, and I, I forgot like there are peop other people with the other dialects because I came there knowing that it's my country. Like I right. don't understand them. Right. But I still retain my language, of course. Like I still speak it. Um, and also, yeah, and just how busy the night it is also. Um, it feels like there's no cars wandering around in Missoula by like 11 p.m. or whatever, unless it's the weekend. Right. And I noticed that in my city, there's also like a lot of um, Chinese for some reason, which I was not used to that. Um, I guess like the gaming industry is booming there and there were a lot of Chinese moving, moving towards our city. Right. And I went to the mall. I told you how big it is. It's the fourth largest mall in the world. 
but it's so exhausting to be in there sure. just because like if you go there you gotta do your one thing you know you can't just go everywhere because that would be so exhausting and right. you have to wait in line all the time so that exhausting lifestyle that i was used to that i was looking for and now like i went to the other extreme right and now i go back to that again right. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exhausting. But in a way, at least I feel that way when I go to Germany. And I just went this summer with my family. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't been since, uh, well, before the pandemic started. So uh, 2000, uh, end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And um, I noticed how yeah how how different again it was from the last time i visited and how mm -hmm. different it is always from my regular lifestyle in missoula mm -hmm. and so even though i was born and grew up there i now it's almost a little bit like being a, a stranger yeah being being a stranger or a tourist in my own home mm -hmm. country and i can't really explain it but probably you know yeah. what i mean because you probably feel the same you kind of go mm -hmm. home but it isn't your familiar home anymore it's it has turned into something different mm -hmm. and so trying to navigate through that can be exciting yeah. but it can also be super frustrating because you do it wonder it was frustrating yeah you do wonder why stores in Germany cannot be open 24 hours. You have to wonder, because wouldn't that just make life a little easier if you could go mm -hmm. grocery shopping at midnight or at two o'clock in the morning when it's not so busy, <laughs> but everything closes in the evening. And so it's, you know, and I, I just sort of, I get frustrated almost when I think about these things, which is what you just described, going back home and all of a sudden seeing things that you never thought about before because yeah. there was no reason. And also one frustrating thing for me, I guess, when I came home was sort of being denied of my culture as well. I remember my friends teasing me how I got the American accent now. And I used to speak English like really fast and I got made fun of that because when I moved here, like that's not the way that people spoke it. But at the same time, like since I adjusted to not get ma made fun of here, I feel like my accent is not American enough for Americans, but like it's it sounds American to Filipinos for some reason, and that and like some of them would be teasing me as whitewashed or whatever with the way I act, and I I tend not to take it like too personally because like it's right. a joke, but at the same time it comes into me like oh am I not Filipino enough? Like I am born and raised here. I can probably outspeak you in Tagalog. Like don't challenge me. Right. But then being labeled in like that certain way that I haven't been labeled before right. makes me feel like I'm being denied of something. Sure, sure. Um, coming to the end of our time, mm -hmm. is there anything that you want to tell people that are going through a cultural adjustment? Any advice mm -hmm. from somebody who has come from a big city like Manila with several million people living there mm -hmm. to first a place that is so small that you can hardly find it on a map mm -hmm. uh, because it's a very small community, mm -hmm. Phillipsburg, Montana. Then coming to Missoula, which has what about 80,000 people living here, I think, mm -hmm. uh, roughly. Um, what would be your advice to others that either have gone through the same thing and are still adjusting 
or that are listening to this and that are about to do this, what would be your advice? My advice is um, know that you have a place wherever you go. Um, and you gotta sometimes assert yourself in a certain way so you don't get pushed around. And also know that um, you, observing skills in this process is probably one of the most important thing because you can't learn really what you don't see or what you just hear from people. And if you don't have like some sort of people to ask from, probably there are others who are like questioning as well. But And be more gracious towards yourself. Mm. Feel free to make mistakes because you are going to make it. You right. can't make everything right the first time. And right. I know it can be frustrating, but know that other people are also trying to understand where, where you're coming from. And you are also, upon interacting with people, you are not the only one experiencing the shock. Probably the other people who you're um, interacting with is trying to know how to adjust to you. So having that communication and having that awareness, that um, common awareness and that grace to yourself to let yourself make the mistakes in order for you to learn, um, I think that might be one of the ways that I navigated through culture shock. And of course, finding the community that um, empowers you when you're going through there, somebody who understands you and is willing to hear you. They don't have to be people of your same culture, but someone who has an open mind, open ears, and open eyes, and just say, yes, I can see that um, you're having a hard time with this. Um, I'm, I don't know what to say to you, but I'm with you through this. Having those kinds of people helps you really navigate through um, a hard time of adjusting and observing how do I position myself in this place. Because always know that you're here for a reason and you have a place wherever you are and you gotta assert that place of yours. Very well said. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon, for speaking to us. Mm -hmm. And this is the start of um, a multi-part series that we are hoping to do on Culture Shock. It will mm -hmm. feature um, uh, other individuals in Missoula that have either worked with people that have gone through it or they have gone through cultural adjustment and culture shock themselves. And mm -hmm. so thank you for, for kicking us off today with you your, so sharing your experience. Mm -hmm. My October International Voices podcast guest was Shiena Greta Medrano, born and raised in the city of Manila, the capital of the Philippines, a city with several million people, and her journey to Phillipsburg, Montana, a city of under a thousand individuals. I appreciated Shiena candidly sharing her experiences with cultural adjustment and culture shock, which might just help others who are going through it or have gone through the same. This was part one of a multi-part series about individuals managing cultural adjustment and culture shock. Thank you for listening. Those of you who are regularly tuning in to International Voices know, being of German descent, I usually end with a German farewell. Dankeschön fürs Zuhören. International Voices is brought to you by Arts Missoula Global and The Trail 1033. This and previous International Voices podcasts can be found at artsmissoula.org and thetrail1033.com.
If your interests are in global and intercultural education, programming, cultural and global competence, and international affairs, we hope you join us again next month for part two of Managing Cultural Adjustment and Culture Shock, featuring international voices who have transitioned from global to local K-12 classrooms. 